Welcome to the North Point Plus, episode 62, and we're going to continue with Sunday's message, and my name is Kate McNerney. My husband, Joe, and I have been here for about a year, and we have four kids, ages 2 to 12, so either you'll see my moody teenager around, or I'm chasing the two-year-old, so either way, <laughs> I'm going to be crazy. So Good, 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 and uh, what are the ages of the kids? Uh, Isaac's 2, Hannah is 12, David's 10, and Mimi is 6. I didn't do that in order Yeah, you didn't do it no, in order. No, because I only wrote in my notes 12 to 2. So Oh, got it. Yeah, totally messed um, up that order. Do you have a favorite restaurant? Of course. Of course you would say that. I, <laughs> I do have a favorite restaurant, um, but I know the answer you're going for is Chick-fil-A. No, so. well, actually, mm -hmm. the, yeah. you, do you have a different favorite restaurant? Um, I like Longhorn Steakhouse. That's a good mm -hmm. choice as well. So Longhorn and Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. You both I stole get, my general manager from Longhorn Steakhouse. <laughs> That's good. So um, you are the... Owner-operator of the West Lansing Chick-fil-A. Good. So go to Chick-fil-A, help the McNerneys out, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and enjoy a good meal in the mm -hmm. process. Just not on Sunday, so you can come to church. Yeah, yeah. I might have gone to Chick-fil-A on Sundays expecting to get food myself <laughs> when I was in the selection process. And I'm like, oh, it's Sunday. Yes, yes, we're closed. You can't do that. And um, very interesting fact before we jump into really what we're talking about. Where'd you come from? Um, Dayton, Ohio. And that's where you were. Dayton, Ohio. We, um, we have history in the same place, know some of the same wonderful places, and you were stationed at? Right, Patterson Air Force Base. Yeah, and your husband Joe, also. He, yes, he. Yeah. Well, he was prior Navy for six years when we were high school sweethearts, and never thought we would get married, and here we are. And um, so now he does Air Force um, cyber stuff down at Battle Creek. Cool. So, but, so. But I had to. I had to help. Here's my. Here's my University of Michigan <laughs> sticker where I went to college <laughs> at. I, I made sure to bring that for you today. Mine is bigger. <laughs> uh, yeah. My product placement is bigger. So uh, we talked about it last on Sunday, Veterans Day last week, mm -hmm. and so appreciate you guys. Appreciate your servant serving and um, sacrificing. Yeah. yeah, we enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. You also talked about your 45 school uh, school year reunion. I haven't even been alive that long, so. Uh. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> That's that. You didn't have to say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I haven't even hit forty yet, so I'm gonna be really sad next March. <laughs> it's come on in. The water's fine. <laughs> yeah. It only gets better. Yeah, the the class reunion was a. It really was a hoot um, mm. to see people. Um, There's only nine kids in my class. I don't think many would show up. <laughs> there, uh, my high school class, uh, 525. Oh wow! It was wow. a big class, and there were about, there were probably close to a hundred that were there. Okay, um, mm -hmm. but it was a it was a interesting reminder, just perspective, because uh, every time there's a reunion, they show the video of all the people who have died that we oh. went to school with, and um, it's sobering when you see their pictures in high school and think they're not a, not here on earth anymore. So yeah, yeah. Um, one, one fun story. Uh, yeah, I hope you're enjoying this because we're going to get to the <laughs> message sooner or later. Um, I was talking to one of the guys and he said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, you're going to get up and preach? I said, you're going to give me a microphone? Um, <laughs> and then, and I said, uh, he said, I don't think anybody had listened. And I said, well, when you watch the video and you realize how many people have died, eh, some people might listen. So who knows? Mm. It's life's short and have to take advantage of stuff, and that's why it's important to experience God now. That is very true. Oh, what a good uh, segue Transition, there. Transition, yeah. Ha -ha, there we go. 
Um, all right. So some of the questions, it talks about um, question before the main section, but it says it might have been said at the beginning of this study how awesome and life changing this study is. But does that feeling happen for everyone at some point? Because I have not felt that way at all. Great question, and let me just let me just give some context in in terms of uh, kind of where we are. So we're in this uh, series called Experiencing God. Um, we are, I think, we started week. I've lost track of the units. I think unit nine, either uh, maybe unit ten this week. Uh, I think unit nine, um, and talking about experiencing God through obedience. That's that's really the the big concept in this past week's message. And so the question that says, oh, so many people have talked about how significant it is, but it's not for me. Uh, I don't know that it is for everybody. Um, I, I don't, you know, for some people there are huge aha moments, and for other people maybe not so much. Um, but I would say this, the... Um, even if there's not this, you know, the angel scene, ah, kind of kind of a moment as you work through the through the book, the thing that I found in going through it again, and and I've said before, um, we did it at a church I was at about 20 years ago, did it again about 10 years ago, and I'm in going back through it, I'm reminded how much of my perspective on how God works mm. and the church and uh, and and what I need to do has roots in experiencing God. So I would say, even if you're not getting the the um, all of the the jazz to it, keep plugging away and just trust that those seeds that are planted, that God's going to use those. I would say that makes a lot of sense because there's parts that I'll go through different studies in my life and it doesn't always make sense right then. It's later on. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And kind of like driver's ed, you don't always need special maneuvering. And then all of a sudden snow kicks in. You're like, oh, that's why do. they taught me this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and there really is a wide variety of uh, like in my life group talking talking to people. Um, there are some people who are new followers of Jesus that this is just all brand new stuff. And then there are some people that have been followers of Jesus for a long, long time. And it's like, oh, I've just never thought about th- this in this way before. And so it's a, that's a really good thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Makes Good. a lot of sense. My mom did this study when I was in high school, and I remember seeing her book out, and she rec- said that I told her we were doing it. She's like, do they have the same cool cassette tapes? And I'm like, no, Mom, they're not giving us any CD with <laughs> us now. But every time I hear that music in the morning on Sunday mornings yeah. that you just sang, I was like, yep, I bet that's probably what it sounded like yeah. for her. It's, a, it's like, what's a cassette tape? Right, Mom? Yeah, yeah. Actually, my daughter's school, they have on the back of one of the kids' um, cell phones, it makes it look like a cassette tape. I'm like, there's no way a 14-year-old knows what a cassette even looks yeah. like. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I thought yep. that was quite entertaining. Um, all you right. had cassette tapes before you were born. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> but I used cassette tapes growing up. I even knew how to like, p- you know, put tape on them so Splice I could record them, yeah. over yeah. things. Yes, yeah, that Absolutely. works. Splicing. Yeah. Oh yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. To take the ones that you couldn't, um, that they were record broken, mm-hmm. Th- mm-hmm. but then you could and didn't yes. have to buy new tapes. Yeah, exactly. Tracking. We're tracking. Yep. Um, all right. So some obedience questions. Mm-hmm. When there are seemingly two good choices and you don't feel you're hearing from God. And your mentors don't know either. What do you do? That's a great question. Um, the the two good choices, and nobody seems to really be pointing you in a specific direction. What do you do? I think uh, there are a couple of, of things. Then this may sound 
counter. Uh, well, actually, I think the best answer in terms of what Blackaby would say was uh, maybe that's a that's a weight kind of thing that um, without recognizing God's voice clearly, maybe the best thing to do is to just wait instead of blasting ahead. Um, one of the pieces of advice uh, that I just gave to somebody recently um, that someone had given to me at one point in time was, um, when there's a gun to your head, the answer is always no. <laughs> um, that that's that that's a just a good principle. That when there is you know when you're going to buy a car and the guy says, oh, you have to make a decision in the next thirty minutes, mm. the answer is always no. When, um, uh, in God's scheme of things. I think unless there's a clear word from God, um, you know, the kind of thing that you recognize that he's been speaking through scripture, through circumstances, through counsel, through prayer, I think that there, that there are opportunities where you can pull the string really fast and say, yeah, and it seems like it's out of nowhere, but God has already prepared that. There are other times that you come to a decision and you think, I just don't know what to do. And maybe the best thing to do, if you're not getting clarity from Scripture, if you're not getting clarity from your mentors, if you're not getting clarity from your prayer time, if um, that that uh, at that point in time, it's maybe good to just wait and see what God is going to do in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you think there are stages of obedience? First saying yes to God, and then when you take action on that first step. Say that again. Do you think there are stages, stages of to obedience? obedience. Yeah, I, um, I think that the process for us of of responding to God, of being obedient to God, is um, that 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 very much that's a progressive uh, kind of thing. If if you think in terms of um, when is it that you begin to recognize someone's voice? The more you hear their voice, the easier it is to recognize and to know who that is. Um, sports illustration. Here we go. Uh, so, you know, when we sit down to watch football on Sunday night at my house and Chris Collinsworth is, uh, you hear his voice. Deb and I um, went to college in Cincinnati. Collinsworth was playing for the Bengals at that point in time. And he's been a national announcer uh, for a whole bunch of years. Deb, who's not a particularly a football fan, will say, I just like his voice. <laughs> it just makes me feel good um, because it's a very familiar voice. Um, somebody who's, who hears Collinsworth for the first time, it's not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. the, I think that the, when we begin to um, hear God's voice, we, th we have some kind of confirmation that comes through Scripture, through prayer, through counsel, through circumstances, and we say yes that it's like, oh, that's what God's voice sounds like. That's, mm -hmm. that's how I need to respond. That then the next time it begins to be easier to recognize God's voice and then to be obedient. I think the more that we're obedient, the more that we recognize God's voice, the more that we recognize God's voice, the more opportunity we have to be obedient. And, it, and so I don't know that it's in stages like levels, but I think there is a level of intimacy that comes um, by responding to God when, when he reaches out in the same way that happens in a relationship. You know, you, um, when you first begin to date or whatever, you, you know the person's voice, but after a whole bunch of years, you know really every inflection, every nuance. Mm -hmm. uh, they may say one thing, but you know in their voice they're saying something completely different. 
Uh, so yeah. yeah, it just it happens with it with the depth of that. And they don't have to talk as loud either because you start to recognize that voice. You can even know from a whisper, like, yeah. oh, that's so-and-so's voice. Just even be quite like, how did you know that? Well, you've heard it for 30 years. Right. It's a lot easier to tell who it was. Right. Absolutely. Um, okay. Can you be disobedient on accident? Like you're trying to do the right thing, willing to obey God, but it doesn't seem clear what that is. Like sometimes prayer or scripture circumstances aren't clear or they seem to conflict with each other. Maybe kind of like that first question of you don't know what God's will is per se. Yep. So can you be disobedient on accident? Um, I, that's, in, uh, that's a very interesting phrase. Look, do you think you can be, dis- can your kids be disobedient on accident? They're going to tell me it was an accident. They're going to be like, I, I didn't know I couldn't have ice cream after dinner today. <laughs> you didn't. You it was just today. Yeah, today. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think that there are times that we can miss God's voice mm-hmm. and, and be disobedient in that way. I think there are times that we can um, uh, be willfully disobedient. Yeah. Yeah. There's no accident. And we can kind of convince ourselves mm-hmm. that, oh, I didn't really know that, like, with your kids, um, I th- I think th- I think the challenge for us I- I- in that process is to begin to recognize God's voice. Yeah. Uh, so that s- just so that it's a lot clearer, so that we know um, what it is that God asks us to do and ha- and how do we res- respond to that. And I think it would, it, it's a good way of phrasing, like going back to your like if you don't know, just waiting. Yeah. Versus just keep keep trying to go one way or another. And like when I was praying whether or not to be a Chick-fil-A operator, I said, God, I'm too dumb to figure this out on my own. So yeah. if you don't want me to be an operator, just slam the door in my face. Yeah. And so part of, for me, figuring that out was continuing to work at the local Chick-fil-A and figuring out like, is this something that I want to do? Yeah. And asking the mentors, and can I serve God better in this capacity than in the military? And so by continuing asking those questions, God made it very clear. And it was two years and nine months of interviews before we figured this out. Right. Um, but I don't think God's trying to trip us up. So it's not like, oh, I want you to choose answer A, but if you choose B or C, you're in big trouble now. So I don't think we can be disobedient on accident if we're actively searching out God's will. Yeah. I, and, and just in terms of in perspective, God loves us. He he. When he invites us to join him in his work, mm-hmm. um, he does that because he wants us to be a part of it. He wants us to experience what it is to be on the front lines with him, um, d- doing his work. And so when we when we miss that, I think I think God grieves that. He, yeah. he like I said Sunday, he's not. Um, we're not going to thwart God's plan. God's going to accomplish His will no matter what. The 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 thing that might happen is that we miss the opportunity to be a part of that. Mm. That's the that's the big thing. So um, the bottom line, I don't think that I don't think that we can accidentally disobey. I think we either intentionally do it or or we just miss it. Um, but and if we miss it, then the, that it probably comes to another question that you have about the second chances or yes, um, yes. The next one is: Are there examples in Scripture when people had second chances to join God and be obedient? Times when people didn't get a second chance. Yeah, um, we we talked about this a little bit. I I can't remember if uh, if Christoph talked about it last week. We've we've I've had multiple conversations about this whole second chance thing, and um, and I think that there that there are lots of opportunities that are there in Scripture to look at, okay, what's a second chance? Um, I am uh, right now in my recreational reading. I'm reading 
Moby Dick. Oh boy. By Melville. Um, and I've never read it before. It's very interesting to think about the, the you know, they're on this whaling vessel and to think about the whole deal with Jonah. So God calls Jonah to go um, to go preach in, in um, Nineveh, and he goes the direct opposite way. God gives him a really big second chance that's really, that's really true. clear. Um, and so th- there's an example of a major call, major disobedience, and yet God still rescues him and, and gives him a second chance. I think if you, if you think in terms of the New Testament, um, probably the picture that's the most compelling is, is Peter. After he has denied knowing Jesus and watched Jesus be crucified, mm-hmm. that, um, that, that on the day that Jesus um, is resurrected, he says, go and meet me in Galilee. And so they go back to the Sea of Galilee where they were fishermen, and they're fishing, and Jesus is there on shore. And in that inter- interaction that happens with Jesus and with Peter, Jesus says, do you love me? If so, feed my sheep. And and it really is an incredible picture, I think, of second chances. And then when you think about how God ultimately used Peter to um, to to break down the wall to the Gentiles and and for for um, salvation to come to the Gentiles, that's that's a huge second chance. Especially when you look at Peter and Judas, both having betrayed and denied what they knew was true about Jesus. Um, and Judas kills himself, and Peter, God ultimately uses to, to open up salvation to the whole Gentile world, which is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that there are lots of pictures of, of um, second chances that God gives. A um, couple of others that are really interesting, because I, I was just thinking about uh, that the um, Samson in the Old Testament. Um, God chooses him. He gives him this incredible strength. He does all the stuff. Um, he messes it all up with Delilah and loses his strength, has his eyes gouged out, and, um, and prays, God, just, just let me, uh, you know, fill, give me the strength again to stand for you to destroy my enemies. And, um, and so his second chance comes when he pushes down the pillars and kills all the Philistines. Uh, which is a kind of a very interesting second chance yeah. that, that he gives. Yeah. I, God still uses him to destroy the enemies. Um, the uh, what was the oh uh, another just I think um, compelling compelling story in the Old Testament is Joseph's brothers. So so Israel has these twelve sons. Um, Joseph is his favorite. And um, and so they go, you know, they go through all the stuff of him being the favorite, and all the brothers just wanting to wring his neck. They are ready to kill him. One of the brothers saves him. He gets sold into slavery. They don't hear from him, see him, anything for uh, who knows, 20, 30 years, whatever. And um, and the brothers live with that guilt. And ultimately, God puts Joseph in a place of power. The brothers come back to, to um, ask for grain, and Joseph allows them. I, he restores them. He forgives them. And, and um, God uses Joseph then to, to provide for them in a time of famine. That there, there really is kind of a second chance and a redemption that happens in that that, that I think is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. Yeah. It's... I, I, it's uh, 
it's there in uh, Genesis 37, 38, somewhere in there. And uh, to me, one of the most um, just emotional things that happen in Scripture mm-hmm. are when um, the brothers come and, and, they, and, and they cry out to Joseph and say, don't make us bring our younger brother because it's going gonna, it's gonna to just kill our dad. And Joseph goes in the other room and just sobs. It's just, it's good stuff. So read, read Genesis, yeah. good stuff there. It wasn't until I was a leader that I realized, like, how could he have lost his composure? Like, I didn't realize that until being a leader, being a parent, and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, now I understand yeah. a lot of that and stuff. And to realize how the brothers would have had to have changed their hearts yeah. to have really been like, we're not bringing Benjamin. No, we can't do it. Like, oh, they did change. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that there are some pictures. Uh, this is the, kind of the opposite side of that question. There are some very clear pictures in Scripture where God doesn't give second chances. And um, and we need to, um, while God is the God of second chances, as long as we're living, God, God keeps reaching out and giving us opportunities. But there are some times where there are not second chances. And, uh, and so in Acts 4 or 5, there's a, a story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, they have a piece of property, and, and because somebody else has sold a piece of property, and everybody says, oh, that's so great that you gave your money to the church, um, Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of land. They give a part of the money to the church leaders, but they say that it's the whole price that they got, so they kept some back. And, um, and God intervenes through Peter and says, is that what you got for the land? And they say, yeah, one at a time. They say, yeah. And they have essentially a heart attack and die on the spot, both of them individually. No second chance there. Um, and, and so God is gracious and forgiving and loving, but he's also just. Um, and so, you know, there's a pretty clear picture there. Uh, with Judas, Judas didn't get a second chance. Um, he took his own life, but there was, you know, God didn't intervene and keep him from doing that after he had betrayed Jesus. Um, so the... God is the God of second chances, but um, we need to respond. <laughs> we first need to respond the, at the first chance. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. waiting for the second or third That's if right. possible. Yeah. That's right. Um, one of the things you talked about yesterday was obedience means relinquishing control because people become like there's this common thought that people become successful because they take control or like. I think of in the military, like party planning or events or all these things. And like things have to be exactly perfect or somebody's going to die type of thing. So how would you view the difference between like there's too much control and perfection versus the right level of how would you explain that versus being too OCD about something? Um, uh, Do you like to be in control? No, (laughs) no, not at all. Never. Um. I didn't come up with this question myself at all. This is not my question. It's, uh, it's Joe's question <laughs> or Dave's, somebody else's, Some, somebody else's somebody's question. question. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's what here's what I think because I have been accused of being um, a micromanager. Um, accused, I've been described as being a micromanager at times. Um, I think that the 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 thing that makes sense for me is um, to prepare and do everything possible in the preparation phase to make everything go uh, the very best way that it can. And whether that's an event or in um, an initiative or 
and stuff in your family, you do everything that you can um, to be thinking ahead, to use the talents and the abilities God's given you to do those things, to um, uh, trust trust people to do their part, but to verify that that gets done, trust and verify. Um, but then in the actual uh, implementation of it, to trust that God is working in that moment and to not go crazy when things go wrong. Um, because that we can't control everything. And, um, and oftentimes God, uh, God works his best when things are not the way that we plan. That's very true. Um, I, I, I was th- thinking back to um, the, uh, this is just a few weeks ago, when we had um, two baptisms on Sunday morning, and the plan was that I was going to baptize the first person, the second person was going to come in the water, and that was good. Um, it was happening in mid-service. Chris was there uh, kind of talking into that area baptized the first person, second person's not there. And we all kind of went, okay, <laughs> what do we do? So then Chris starts talking, and finally the other person comes in, and, and afterwards the number of people who said, that was just such a great thing, uh, to just recognize that we can't control everything. Mm-hmm. Everything doesn't have to be picture perfect. Mm-hmm. God is working in the details. But man, when you're used to being in charge, it's... It's hard to let that go. It's uh, very hard. Yeah. I have a business coach, and she's like, Kate, ask questions to help grow and develop people. I'm like, but I know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can be hard to help bring them up to the same level sometimes. And so you helping a kindergartner do algebra. They, they have to think and grow and get there. Right. So that's harder. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you had talked about um, utilizing like blessings from God and um, gifts in different ways. Um, so how can we better utilize the blessings from God in an obedient manner? So um, you talked about like volunteering and different things, but how does it look different if it, whether it's physical gifts for God or like the church, cause there can be monetary gifts, but then, um, also volunteering because, this, so how do we know if we're giving too much versus not enough? How do you know if you're giving too much as opposed to not enough? The, um, that's a great question. The, um, I, th- I think, boy, this sounds like the Sunday school answer in, the, in experiencing God. I think it comes from recognizing God's voice. That um, for me, in terms of what I do ministry-wise, um, I could do ministry stuff um, 24-7. I could do it to the point that it jeopardizes my relationship with, with Deb, or that it jeopardizes my relationship with my kids, um, that would not be healthy, and I don't think that that, that would honor God. Um, at the same time, you know, when, when I was raising the kids, I'm, uh, when I was, <laughs> when Deb was um, primary, when, we were, when our kids were young and growing up, um, one of the things that I always said was, ministry is life, and life is ministry. So it's not like mm. I could turn on being a pastor at eight o'clock on Monday morning and then turn it off at five o'clock. Um, it, it, ministry doesn't work that way. But because ministry is life and life is ministry, there's flexibility. So I had the ability to come home early or I had the ability if I was, if I was going to um, be out at night, that kind of thing. I, was, I had the ability to kind of pace my schedule to be able to be at events for the kids and to, and to 
experience that. And Deb was great with our kids in, in being able to say, man, we are so fortunate that God can use your dad for kingdom stuff. Mm. And that dad has the flexibility to be able to do X, Y, Z to, you know, to, to go to the playground in the afternoon or whatever. Um, I think that that's a kind of a healthy balance for us. And, um, and so for somebody who has financial resources to be able to say, God has blessed me so that I can bless lots of people in lots of ways. And to, and to do that, can you, can you give to the point that you jeopardize that, that you're not being wise or good steward? Um, I think that that's possible. Um, I particularly, it's just so hard because I, you know, you look at the widow who gave her last two cents in the offering, and Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. Jesus didn't condemn her for giving her gift and for trusting that God was going to provide yeah, for her. Good point. Um, and he could have. He could have said she gave too much. Um, the the uh, told the story a couple of weeks ago in the message about about um, the widow of, uh, of Zarephath um, that she fed Elijah before she fed she and her son and God provided. Um, I th- I think we tend to operate we tend to think with an operate oh, with a with a mindset of scarcity rather than a mindset of generosity and so we think oh i can't do that because it's going to cost me it it's it's going to um, impact the other things i could do i think what i've found at this stage of my life and and watching people a lot when we allow god when when god invites us to be a part of his work and we jump in and join him the fulfillment that we get is a lot deeper and more lasting than the fulfillment that we get when we go shopping or that we get when we're out on the boat on the lake or when we're cheering for a football team. Uh, uh, um, South football team, yeah. (laughs) That's right. Um, I I think that that we, um, when we, if I go back to kind of what I talked about in the message on Sunday, you know, when people say it's too much to ask to have my kids at church from, you know, for both hours from nine until 1230 or whatever. Um, and I look back and, and say, so we had six kids. Our routine all the time that they were that they were growing up was the kids were at church from eight o'clock in the morning and then until um, one um, when they were growing up. And that was just normal life for us. It was, you know, that's what we did. And they didn't they didn't um, resent it. Um, there were some challenges that came with that, but it certainly wasn't the end of the world um, because oftentimes the things that we say, oh, I could never do that that are kingdom things, we turn around and do for other reasons. We do it for our kids to be a part of a travel team. We do it for, um, you know, we do it because we want to go be with our friends and go away for a weekend or whatever it is. What we care about, we make time for, and and the thing about responding, o- obeying when when um, God offers us an opportunity to join Him, is that all of a sudden our perspective changes in terms of what's important. Um, man, I'm talking a lot, but I, so you can jump yeah. in at any at any point. But I th- I do think that the um, all of us make choices about what's most important for us, and we structure our lives around them. The, the things that we care about most, we will make time for. Um, and so um, recognizing that if 
kingdom stuff is what really matters for eternity. That's got to be a priority. Saying yes to, to God's invitation is something that we've got to do. And, and will it mean that we don't do some other stuff? Yeah, it, it will. But it's, it's a whole lot better trade. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a much better result that comes as a result of that. Yeah. Result, result. Yeah. I know you meant. Yeah. And uh, well, you talked about too, like can't versus won't. And we talk about Chick-fil-A, can't versus won't versus just don't know how, but that's kind of going into. Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, that's good. So, yeah. <laughs> and so we, growing up with my family, people are like, well, did you do, you know, drugs, alcohol, crazy things? And the only guy I've ever dated is Joe. And I don't have any regrets about that. But I said, I never got into drugs or alcohol because my parents kept me so busy working. Yeah. They, they had a banquet hall and we would be there. So Saturday, all day working till sometimes one or two o'clock in the morning, get up at seven o'clock Sunday morning to be at church really early for my parents to do worship team. And then yeah, there till noon, one o'clock, because then I would do the PowerPoint slides or started off with the little transparencies and stuff. Yeah. And then I was the first person to do the computer stuff, like scared me to death. And my cousin was there the first Sunday. So it was the only thing that got me through it. So I had to not show her I was freaking out because she had no idea what she was doing. So one yeah. of us had to look smart. But we didn't know any different. And the yeah. big part of it was my parents' attitude. It was a we got to do it thing. It wasn't, it's Sunday again, the world's over. You know, it was a good thing and yeah. excited and worshiping God versus like, this is horrible. And yeah, yeah, like different families make time like, I can't go anywhere on whatever night of the week it is because of football games or whatever. And like you said, those traveling teams, I didn't realize those cost thousands of dollars. Right, right. It's a priority. And so people make a choice to be a part of it or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My kids are never going to be that good at a sport that I'm spending thousands of dollars on it. Like, I understand there's a point in it. My sister did it, but not my kids. <laughs> yeah. The the get to versus have to, mm -hmm. is a, that's, a, that's a big deal. And again, just in terms of the priority stuff, I, I think I've, I've said this before, but when I look back on when we were raising the kids, um, in order for us to do what we did on Sunday morning, um, to get there early, um, to be there, and typically we're one of the last people to leave, and our kids were a part of that. Um, the In order for that to happen, they had to have a good night's sleep on Saturday night, so we didn't do stuff on Saturday night. And in order for them to get to bed on time, and this was way back in the day when Dr. Quinn was on. Oh, I remember that show, um, yeah. The, um, everything, everybody's baths had to be done, clothes ready for Sunday mm -hmm, morning mm -hmm. so that they could watch Dr. Quinn. So that meant that if baths for six kids were going to happen in that timely frame, we had to eat earlier, oh, which wow. meant Sunday morning for us started about four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. It wow. Was, it, that, that was just our normal routine. And I didn't typically do, we didn't do stuff on Saturday night because it, it was a part of our commitment to, to doing Sunday morning. And that wasn't a burden. I, I mean, if you, most, most of my kids, I think my girls, almost all of them have, Dr. Quinn on on DVD mm -hmm. that they still go back and watch because it's such good memories because you know everything's done we sit down and watch Dr. Quinn and 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 afterwards say prayers and go to bed and it was it was just great yeah stuff I like Sully that show. Sully yes that was his name yes yeah. I used to want to be a doctor and then I'm like nope it's not as glamorous as they make it sound yeah um all right so into some of the miscellaneous questions so they talk about crisis of belief and can that also relate to doubt. Doubt also questions faith and leads to a decision whether to trust or not. So kind of um, 
I guess I don't completely understand some of this questioning and should have researched a little uh, bit better okay. beforehand. So let me see if I've got it. Crisis um, of belief. Can that also relate to doubt? Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, the uh, when I saw the question, I, I I wrote some stuff down, and and I think we'll we'll try and get to the heart of the question. Um, um, doubt and belief go hand in hand, and I don't. I, someone who never doubts, I don't know that they really believe. Yeah. Um, there have been multiple times um, while I've been a pastor that I've thought. Is this really true? Do I really believe this? Is this what I want to invest my life in? Uh, you know, the crisis of belief kind of thing, and and doubt that comes in that when everything is falling apart in terms of the way that you think sh things should mm -hmm. result, and they don't happen that way, you're gonna have you're gonna doubt. Oh, yeah. You know, God, where are you in this? Uh, which is, I think, part of why this study is so good because it really does remind us to say. You have to look at things from God's perspective, not just from the middle of our circumstances. But anyway, the the, the notes that I wrote to the question are um, blind faith. Blind faith is stupid. Um, uh, <laughs> people will say, oh, you just have blind faith. No, I don't have blind faith at all. I think that there's substantial faith that comes as a result of knowing the character and the track record of God. And that it's easy to have faith when you say, I know who God is by, by how he's related to humanity for the last, you know, six or 8,000 years or whatever. I know who God is by the way that he tells his story. And I know what he's done in my life. And that causes me to believe and to have faith even when, when the things that I see don't match up, when, mm -hmm. you know, when they don't make sense. And so... That crisis of belief, d doubt comes in there for sure, and it really comes down to a point where you say, do I trust what I know, what I think, or what everybody around me knows and thinks, or do I trust what God says and how I've seen him work in the past and what I know based on history? And, um, and that, I think, uh, tends to resolve... Uh, it, it doesn't make it any easier in the midst of the crisis, in the, yeah. in the midst of the... Um, you know, when you're going through the shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't it doesn't make that easier, but it is something that you can hold on to mm -hmm. at, at that point in time. Yeah, I was really bullied in high school, and I used to pray, I'm like, God, either take me home or use me later in life to help people, because this is really awful. And wow. it um, actually talking to my daughter's school tomorrow, the seventh and eighth graders, just going through things about how hard it is and the bullying and the words that we use and stuff, and. Um, I just to wonder why it was a small Christian school that I grew up in and wondering why I went through yeah. these things and like, God, if you really exist, you better use me someday. Cause this is pretty awful. And so to move forward and see how God has used me, whether it's through the military or even where I am now, um, there's a girl that works for me. We'll call her Sally and my kids laugh because yeah. there's, they're always Sally, Susie or Bob. <laughs> Good names. <laughs> and, yep. um, Sally Really smart, wonderful, hardworking girl, but yet she's so angry. And she she's told one of my managers before, like, I want to believe in God. I want to believe in something. I just, I don't know how. And yeah. we have a chaplain that comes in on staff, and he talks to people, and he's talked to her multiple times. And she just, it's like she can't quite get there. Like, she hasn't quite put God to the test enough. And I don't know that she... 
I don't know quite what's lacking, but I've even talked to her before and I'm like, you know, Sally, without God, I'd be exactly where you are. Yeah. And for me, that's helped me a lot with my doubt, not just because I've seen how God's used me in life, but because I see her and that inner anger and where she is and wondering, and she has to fight for herself on a daily basis versus you and I have that peace knowing that like God's fighting our battles for us. Right. And even angels interceding on our behalf that we don't see how it happens. And she doesn't have any of that. Yeah. And I was like, man, I, I don't know how she even functions on a daily basis without always like, who's, who's coming at me, you know, like yeah. always being so afraid. Yeah. The, the world is a pretty stinky place mm-hmm. that's unfair and that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, apart from a God who is bigger than all that, loving us and having a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's pretty hopeless without, and uh, yeah, it's uh, being able to trust Him sees you through those all the stuff, mm-hmm. and then you can look back at some point in time and say, "Oh, that's what you were doing, God." Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, you know, being refined, or you just needed to get my attention, or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. very very true. Um, and then one of the last questions was. Wasn't Abraham not truly in a relationship with God in Genesis 12, but more in Genesis 16? Because even though he obeyed God in Genesis 12, he was more of lying in 12 verses 10 through 20. Great question. And I'm really, really glad that somebody asked, because I hope that they read the rest of that chapter about Abram's hot wife, Sarai. Um, so I would have been really mad if I was her, by the way, because if husbands are supposed to be like the covering for their wives and protecting, like, here you go, here we go, yes, my sister, and I it, it did it twice. <laughs> I mean, it's not just, yeah. it's not just at that point, it happens later too. That you think she had to just be incredibly beautiful, and Abraham had to be really afraid or stupid or whatever, and she still loves him and all that stuff. So, mm. Um, I think that the heart of the, the question says maybe Abram wasn't really in a relationship with God at the beginning of chapter 12. And then it, um, it says 16, but maybe even not till 19 when, when Sarah becomes pregnant with Isaac, that it's at that point then that, that Abram really is all in at that point. He's Abraham. And I, I would just say I think that it's really healthy to read the story of Abraham um, starting in chapter 12, maybe the, the end of chapter 11, and to read down through probably chapter 20 or whatever, and, and you begin to see um, the story of, of Abraham in all of its glory and all of its dirt, uh, you know, because he's, man, he doesn't have it all figured out, but when God invites him into his work, and he says yes. That starts the journey, and that's the story for us. We don't just because we say yes and obey doesn't mean everything's going to work out fine. It doesn't mean that we're going to get it all right. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. Because Abraham at the at the end of chapter twelve does just do something really stupid, you know, um, in in terms of lying about his wife to protect himself, and uh, essentially kind of throwing her to the wolves. Um, it's just, that's crazy. Um, and then all of the stuff that happens, you know, when, when he bargains with God over, over Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Abraham's 
it's not like he's got a lot of faith. He's just trying to figure out how to how to live. But ultimate and, and and then you know then you hit what is it chapter seventeen eighteen or whatever when when Sarah says God gave you this promise I got nothing left you uh, go ahead and take my take my servant sleep with Hagar and Abraham says okay we'll do that and she conceives and has Ishmael um, it's it's just it's such a crazy story. Um, that I think that there's comfort for us and, um, and, and just a recognition that our journey is not one of these things that just keeps going up, you know, gets better and better and better all the time, that it is um, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, the, uh, times that we respond to God in the right way and times that we take control and, and do it wrong and, and um, feel, the, feel the results of that. Um, you know, we live with the consequences of that, and God rescues us, and we come back and, and say yes again. We begin to recognize His voice in a greater way. Um, it, you know, it's, it's not—it really is not just about recognizing His voice. It's about recognizing recognize His voice and obeying, saying mm-hmm. yes. Because there are a lot of times that we say, yeah, God, I know that's what you want me to do. I'm thinking no, I, you know, I'm, I'm not today. That's not what I want to do today, and um, and that's true. It's true for me. It's true for I've you. Done it's, that. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I, we say that we say that with some amount of shame, not oh, good for us kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It it is the reality of the of the spiritual battle that's going on inside all of us all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't wrestle against um, uh, physical things. Yeah. principalities and powers. Um, and so the, the, um, the, the, the recognition that we're on a journey that doesn't end until we die and that, that we just need to keep saying yes, we need to keep obeying, we keep, need to keep recognizing God's voice. That's, that's yeah. what it's all about. That's another great example of second chances. I mean, yeah. you could really mess up. I think Abraham figured out how to do it. <laughs> he did. Yeah. He did. And, and, and the cool thing is he did mess up. But he did some things that are crazy in terms of his his trust and obedience oh, yeah. to God. You know, when God says sacrifice your son, and he says, "Okay, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna figure out how to fix this." Some major faith, yeah. 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 And to be Isaac too up there, like, "All right, Dad, where's the where's the sacrifice?" And he's like, "Just let's go, <laughs> yeah, let's go." Yeah, and and you know that Abraham had to be thinking, um, "I'm gonna have to kill my son." It, yeah. yeah, it's not like yeah. he said, God's going to provide. It was. It had to be just full of emotion, yeah. knowing that it was probably, I think probably in his mind, he thought Isaac's going to die and God's going to raise him up or do something else. Who, who knows? So, the longest yeah. journey of his life. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. That wouldn't have been a short walk either. Oh, no. I'm awful. No. Wow. Well, that concludes the questions. So uh, on that amazing note there, thank you for your time, Rick. Um, Thank you for doing it. Thanks for playing guest host. I feel like we're Jeopardy with having a round of guest hosts that Mm -hmm. come in. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, good. Appreciate it very much. And um, now now is when you say do all the famous um, Internet stuff where you like, share. Oh, yeah, everybody (laughs) like, share. Uh, 
I've seen shows where they do all the likes and shares and post your comments below. That's from uh, Nerdy Nummies. Sorry. Oh, I no. don't know Nerdy Nummies. You're too but old. But you can't. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. But you can ask questions. If you've got follow-up questions from um, the stuff that we've talked about, feel free to do that and uh, to write those in the comments, and we'll get to them next week. And thanks so much, Miss Miss Kate, for, for uh, hosting. My today. pleasure. Thanks, everybody.